Welcome back to another episode of Root Radical, an herbalist podcast, a nature-based podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Denton of Root Radical Herbal Academy and Tippecanoe Herbs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And this week's episode is sponsored by our Herb of the Week series that we're doing over at rootradical.teachable.com, where, well, we explore an herb every week. We talk about a lot of the mystical correspondences, the medicine making involved. We try to really learn deeply one herb per week for a year, 52 herbs at the end. And it's a buck a week, one buck an episode. That's less than one eighth of a vanilla bean. You cannot get an eighth of a, of a vanilla bean for less money than you can for this hour long episode coming up here. In this episode, we got jingles. We're talking about Taurus. We're talking about violets. We're talking about Greek myths, medicine making again. So hope you enjoy it. And I hope I find you over at the Herb of the Week. Our students uh, get a chance for some discounts as well. We get a discounts every week, and we got a really fun Telegram page for our students as well. But I'll catch you on the flip side. Enjoy the episode. Sun just moved in Taurus. It's getting nice and comfortable. It's ruled by Venus. I heard she likes poetry. I'll sing one about the violet. Roses are red, violets are nice, but when I pick a violet, I don't think twice. If you've ever been pricked by a rose, violet's leaf is relief, don't you know? Greetings, greetings, fellow flower sniffers. Welcome back to another Herb of the Week. We got a new herb, we got a new week, we got a new astrological sign. Everything just feels new. It's springtime. It's full swing spring, and it feels great. So let's talk about all of this stuff. I'm going to talk about the constellation and and the astrological sign, the energies of that. We're going to talk about the elements the rulership, the body. We're going to talk about our herb of the week. Let me just introduce it. It's violets. Any kind of violet, all members of the viola genus will do. They're all interchangeable for these lessons. So whatever kind of violet you got, you don't need to worry about the species. It'll work. I'll get into violets quite a bit. I got a lot to say about them, but I also want to talk about this new sign that we've entered in, Taurus. We moved away from that hot, aggressive, challenging, cardinal, fire, Mars-ruled Aries, and into Taurus, the bull, which represents stability, stubbornness too, all types of bull traits. It is the element of earth, not just earth, which is a stable containing element. Of course, you remember there's three types of earth. There's the cardinal earth, which is the beginning one, And then there's the mutable earth, which is the changing one. And then there's the most stuck of stuck. That's fixed earth. And that's what Taurus is. It's the most stuck stuck. And, (laughs) or the most stable, you could say. Taurus on the Zodiac Man, the anatomy of the Zodiac Man, uh, rules the throat, rules the tonsils, rules the vocal cords, the thyroid, 
that neck area, this whole neck area. And I would even say maybe even the collarbone a little bit. And uh, the procreative desire, which is interesting because Taurus is ruled by the planet Venus. And Venus is a planet that has that desire, that procreative desire. In fact, there's a little motto, a two-word motto for each of the signs. And Aries was, I am. And Taurus is, I have. As in, stuff. I have stuff. I have a lot of stuff. I have material. And that phrase touches on the sensuality and the material qualities of the archetype of Venus. With the, by the way, the, the word sensuality, that's been misused a lot, I think. I'm talking about of the senses, embodied. Taurus is a great reminder to a lot of people of the sacredness of embodiment. That's one of the medicines of Taurus. In tarot, the corresponding cards are the Hierophant, which is like the Pope-like figure. We get this idea of dogma and um, these elements of the past and what's fixed, right? Some people relate the Empress as well because that's Venusian. I like that too. We'll get into that a little bit today too, I think. Um, it also is the five, six, and seven of pentacles or of the coins or however you want to call that suit. Anytime there's a fixed element, it's always the five, six, and seven. And um, coins or the pentacles represent earth, material. The word material even, that's matter, same word as mother, mater, they're all related. It's all related to this sacred feminine. That's why we call it mother earth, mother earth and father sky, the negative charge that comes from the earth the positive charge that goes from the sky that pushes us down onto this material plane, this Mother Earth plane. So we have a very, very feminine quality going on with the, with the sign right now. And it feels good compared to that very hot masculinity that was just coming through with Aries, doesn't it? It feels great. In this sign of Taurus, whether you're going to be joining for all the herbs of the week or just this particular one, Let's remind ourselves to be sensual, to be embodied, to slow down, to feel, to enjoy. This is the time of year that the roots want to take hold. This is the earthy time, roots. Remember back in Aries, the seed was just sprouting. What does a sprouted seed look like, by the way? It looks like a little semen. There's this masculine principle to the Aries. It's reflected in all these different things that you see in nature. And now we're in this feminine sign of Taurus, and it's about taking root. It's about holding on to the earth. It's about making what was started and what began last sign actually have vigor and form to carry it through the rest of the season. There'll be times of the year when it's appropriate for the flowers to bloom and say, hey, look at me, I'm a very beautiful flower. And there'll be times when it's appropriate for the fruit to be picked and for that to be harvested. And there's signs that represent that too. But right now we're in the sign of the bull. Let's talk about the Taurus as an emotional, mental personality type as well. By the way, quick aside, if you're a Taurus person that you identify as a Taurus, like I was born in this time of year, I'm a Taurus. I'm not necessarily talking about you and I'm not talking about the your sun sign 
I'm talking about the qualities of the Taurus. And maybe you possess them and maybe you don't, but they are present at this time of year. So I'm not sa- when I say that a Taurus is stubborn, I don't want you. <laughs> I don't want you to be like, no, this isn't for me. You probably, if you're a Taurus, you probably have been called that. Um, but let's just say, how about let's start with a, let's go back and fortify um, the Taurus with a little bit of positivity and say the Taurus is a stable. It's got a lot of stability. It's got a lot of loyalty. And as I mentioned earlier, it's very helpful at. Uh, um, especially for the air signs and the fire signs to help them remember, remember the sacredness of physicality as in bringing that, those, your members back to your body. Um, what else do we get? Words like bullishness, bullheadedness. Crow triple seven from Crow triple seven radio often makes a quote or, or saying, and I don't know if he gets this from like an old philosopher or an alchemist or something, but he says, what came first, the bull or the idea of bullishness? What that question demonstrates is that there are people who look at nature and they see these aspects and they overlap them with these types of characteristics, these types of energies and personality types. They're not assigning these personality types to the signs they're seeing these reflections in nature itself. And because Taurus is so steadfast, so bullheaded, so stubborn, so loyal, so persistent, they also have a tendency to hold on to stuff, hold on to material, hold on to weight, hold on to disease. Um, This might be due to their melancholic humor. And I don't mean like humor, ha, 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 comedy or tragedy, tragedy. I mean the humoral systems from the Greek. There's choleric, there's sanguine, there's phlegmatic, and there's melancholic. These are all different qualities, just like the earth, air, fire, and water. They're just different names for them, basically. And the Taurus has this melancholic personality, melancholic blood type as well, I would even say. Back to the idea of the Taurus holding on to disease. I think that the word chronic disease relates quite well to Taurus. While they are the strongest sign and the most likely to live the longest, they are also susceptible to chronic diseases of congestion, diseases of cold. In fact, I just saw yesterday a (laughs) happy birthday to Jonathan the Tortoise. Jonathan the tortoise was celebrating his 185th birthday, maybe, oh, 190th, sorry, sorry, Jonathan the tortoise, world's oldest land animal. Isn't that funny? Jonathan the tortoise is a Taurus. (laughs) As 192, and let's just see here, as a real quick article here. While there's no real record of his birth, that's funny that they put him in as a Taurus then because it's like, well, obviously. And his name's Jonathan too, which is funny too. And he was brought to St. Helena from Setcheles, I don't know what that is, in 1882 as a gift to Sir William Gray Wilson. Sir William Gray Wilson is dead. He's died a long time ago, I'm sure. And Jonathan, his loyal, steadfast pet, has lived on and is still crushing at probably 200 years old. They don't know. They don't know how old he is. They're counting 190. 
So happy birthday to the oldest um, land animal, which is a tortoise, and is also a Taurus. And happy birthday to any Tauruses out there too. All right, back to the diseases. Because <laughs> it comes, it's it's going to be relevant as we're talking about these herbs throughout this herb of the week of and this Taurus season. All right, diseases of congestion, diseases of cold. Congestion is interesting concept to me because it's a matter. It's a to me, it's a it's about holding on to something. So if you have this element of earth and it's fixed and it's stuck and it's stubborn and it doesn't want to let go. It's just going to stick around. It's just going to manifest for a long time. It's going to become chronic. When I hear the word chronic, I think of the, I think of the tissue state of cold, which is, I would say depression. And I know that word is charged, but I'm talking about like a depressed vitality. I'm not talking about invigorated hot vitality, like the Aries on the other side it's not like cold is good and hot or cold is bad and hot is good because hot can also lead to burnout. It's a matter of being balanced. Um, but the Taurus, Taurus archetype, people who have, who have a lot of Taurus in their chart and a lot of Taurus in their body are perhaps more prone to this cold congestion. And then even afflicting these parts of the body that the Taurus rules, the throat, the tonsils, the thyroid. Think of hypothyroidism. That's a very Taurus-like quality for sure. Lack of energy, lack of mobility, or, or I should say, sorry, lack of me, um, metabolic function, um, and even like problems with the lower jaw. Ah, the mandible. The mandible. Get it? Oh, that's so cool. Physiognomically, though, because Taurus is ruled by Venus, they tend to have a real beauty to them, a real nice, beautiful eyes, like big cow eyes, those big, beautiful cow eyes. They might be a little skewed to the side of their head a little bit, square to round, like jaw, like very square, big jaw. Um, one of those forehead, foreheads like, a, like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. It's like, what is that called? Like a widow's peak, like a willow peak or something. The minotaur head. That's what I think. It was just like the minotaur head. It looks like they have little like horns. They can be predisposed to having, especially the men having a hairline like that, but really beautiful. And again, not all of them, <laughs> not every Taurus is stubborn and not every Taurus is beautiful, but most of them are. Most of them are beautiful and most of them are stubborn. And because they have that stubborn earth quality to them, I see this is a, a, a way that I see Taurus people stand a lot is they have their feet planted, but they don't move their uh, they don't move their feet. They'll like sway their body around, but their feet are steadfast on the ground. It's fun. When you know this stuff about like if you know a Taurus, you know you're talking to a Taurus. Look at how they stand next time. They just usually like hold their position really strong. It's funny. And Tauruses have, because it rules the vocal cords, they have beautiful voices. They can soothe. They have great song voices. It Taurus rules the vocal cords, but it doesn't rule the, it doesn't rule speech. That's a different sign. That's a different element, but it does rule the physical way that words sound and that mo the, the voice sounds. And so that's why it would be kind of a Taurus quality. Now, I mean, maybe you don't have 
the sun in Taurus, but maybe you have Saturn in Taurus or Neptune in Taurus or a challenging planet in Taurus, and you might be predisposed to having a lot of tonsil problems or things like that, lymphatic decongestion, or sorry, lymphatic congestion, things like that in your jaw in this like Taurian area of the body. And again, that would be chronic, that would be cold, that would be lack of vitality, it would be this lack of whatever is going on to fully express itself and move on. It just gets kind of stuck. In the case of the lymphatic system, it gets kind of gummy. It doesn't want to go anywhere. It just wants to stay. And I'm not saying that every tourist doesn't want to go anywhere and just wants to stay. But a lot of them do. A lot of them want to just stay home and watch their favorite movie or listen to their favorite song over and over. And very often, you'll be most welcome at the tourist's house. But if you invite them out, they'll be like, eh, I think I'd rather just stay and watch this movie I've watched a thousand times. It's more comfortable here. I got a really nice chair. I got a really nice couch. And um, they're comfortable. They're stable. It may take them 25 years to build up a record collection. Tauruses like to collect. They, they want, remember? They want. Or a big Lego collection or something like that. But it's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best and when you hang out with the Taurus, they're going to be like, you're going to be like, hey, come out. And they're going to be like, eh, I think I'd rather just stay home. But if you come over, we can listen to any record that you want. <laughs> and it's fun. It's really important, I think. That's the medicine of Taurus, to just ground and be with what you like and what you love and what you appreciate, the material aspects of it, the sensual aspects of it. Anything else I want to add about Taurus? Sure, there's going to be plenty. I'm going to add it throughout this this month as we're playing around with the herbs of the week of Taurus. But one thing that's happening during this week of Taurus is, it just so happens to be a fertility festival, of course, it's Beltane. If you take the wheel of the year and you bisect it and you get the equinoxes on both sides and then you bisect it again from top to bottom and you get the solstices going from north to south. But then it's like a, a four pie pizza and you want to make that pizza into eight pieces and you bisect it again and again. Beltane is the placement between the spring equinox and the summer solstice. It's right in between. And across from Beltane on the calendar year is Halloween. So let me just give you a little picture here of zooming out to this whole zoo dial or zodiac, seeing the whole spectrum here because across from Taurus is Scorpio. Scorpio rules reproduction. It rules the colon. And a lot of Taurus afflictions are have to do with stuck congestion. And again, Taurus rules the procreative desire and Scorpio rules procreation, period. Like that's it. Like that's what it does. And letting go, letting go of things through the colon. So there's a strong relationship between the, the, the festival of Beltane and the festival of Halloween and the um, and Taurus and Scorpio as well. So Beltane, what do we got with Beltane? What's, what's something that if you picture Beltane in your mind, you got a big pole, symbol of masculine fertility, boom, put it in the ground into the symbol of feminine fertility, the ground. And... Um, you have a, it's the Maypole celebration very often back in 
places where Beltane was celebrated in Ireland and um, England and places like that. It would be the young girls and the maidens that would be weaving the maypole weaves in and out in their little dance. Nowadays, you see all, all the little kids doing it, but it used to be just the ladies, just the women and the little kids. And I like, and it's always, it was on uh, May 1st. That's, that's when it is, May 1st, May Day. And I've seen some traditions where it starts on the blooming of the hawthorn. So when the hawthorn blooms, that's when May Day begins, or that's when Beltane begins. I really happen to like that because I'm not a huge fan of arbitrary calendar dates, like especially when it's a representation of something in nature, an aspect of nature. And May 1st, you know, it's it's a Pope's calendar day. I know the Hierophant, the Pope, oh, we got to have the Pope's day. But I think it's really cool. I would, you know, I would love to go to a Beltane festival where they're just like go out every morning and they wait for this tree to bloom. And once it finally blooms, they're like, hooray, let's do the maypole. Because it would probably ensure a sunny day even, you know, because if it's blooming, it's on the sunny day. So anyway, uh, quick aside, I think that's really cool. All of that represents fertility. May Day, happy Beltane to y'all listening. I think it's really, some places it's actually the first day of summer. It's definitely not the first day of summer in where I live. It's barely spring. Um, it was snowing just a couple of days ago. We, I just saw our first dandelion the other day. So um, congratulations if it's already summer for you. It feels like it should be. The, sky, the sun is high in the sky. It is sunny until late. But violets... Violet's the herb of the week. It's got a strong connection with Beltane. I was going to choose Rose to be the first herb of the week of Taurus. It's going to be the next week. But I was thinking, you know, Rose got a strong Martian connection with the thorns and stuff. And that would be a nice segue moving from the first decan of Aries, or sorry, the last decan of Aries in this little liminal period between the two signs. But, um, but, and also because of the poem, you know, it always starts out, roses are red, violets are blue, blah, 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 blue. Um, but I'm going to, but violets are popping up right now. I've been working with violets. Violets make sense. We're going to start with violets. We're going to change the poem around. It's not going to be, it's not going to be roses are red anymore. It's going to be violets are, violets are, mm, we're going to have to think of a new poem. We're going to think of a new poem. It starts with violets. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't have to rhyme. It can be a haiku. Let's just make it. Let's just make it a haiku or something like that. We don't have to worry about rhyming something with violet. It's kind of a hard word to rhyme. Okay, and that's the color because it's always like roses are red, violets are blue. Well, what about the violet though? Because aren't they called violets because they're the color violet? Yeah, the color violet. Also, let's start there. The color violet. And the spectrum of light, there's, there's a, if you imagine a sine wave with like a, you know, a wave going above a crest and down a crest for green, right in the middle, it would be like womp, 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 womp. And for red, which is really low, it would go womp, womp. It's got the, it's, red's got the longest waves, but violet's got the shortest waves. It's like, 
And that's why violet, the color violet, is associated with the crown chakra because it is the fastest frequency. It's the fastest, it's the speediest, it's the most closest to spirit. Whereas the red, color red, is the slowest and the lowest and the closest to earth. So whenever I see violet, the color violet in nature, I'm always thinking about consciousness medicine. That's one thing I see. Violet flower itself is not a reproductive flower. Well, I should say the flower that we see that's sticking up above the, the plant, it's not a reproductive flower. It's a flower that is available for pollinators, but at the time of year that the violet's um, blooming, there's not many pollinators. So it's like, well, screw you guys. I don't care. Well, I don't care if anyone wants my sweetness. I'm just going to reproduce later on in the year by myself anyway. So it has a little reproductive flower that's underneath the flowers that you have to kind of lift up to see. And it just reproduces with itself anyway. So it's like, screw you. And, um, and then it also reproduces with itself through its rhizome. So it's got a long rhizome root that sometimes pops up out of the soil and it connects itself to other rhizomes. So there's a lot of taurian qualities there. It's just like, you know, not all tauruses want to just reproduce all day long, okay? <laughs> but a lot of them do. <laughs> the violet flower is five-petaled. So there's another signature of Venus, five-petal. We'll cover that next week when we talk about rose and we change our poem once and for all. And it's the Wisconsin state flower, the flower of the state that I live in. And for me, it makes a lot of sense because it's one of the first flowers that you see in the springtime, one of the first. And after such a long winter, it still feels like winter sometimes. Even last week, it felt like winter. It's so beautiful to see flowers growing. That's like, to me, that, that makes a lot of sense to me why the violet is the state flower of, and that's one of the first medicines that I make and then that I can forage in the springtime is violet flowers. So you can gather violet flowers and you could put, make a violet syrup with them. And a violet syrup is basically just a infusion of violet flowers made as a simple syrup. So you, you take a bunch of violet flowers, put them into a jar. Don't have to pack them in, just fill up the jar as much as you can. And usually it takes 10 minutes or so of picking, not, not that much. And you fill up the jar with hot water. I mean, like you boil the water and then you put it in the jar. Here's a tip, by the way, little tip on putting hot boiling water into a jar. Put a spoon in the jar and it'll make it less likely that the jar will crack. If you pour hot water into a jar over and over and over because you're making infusions and this is the jar you use to make infusions, it's more likely that it will crack one of these days. And that would be such a pity if that jar cracked after harvesting all of your violet flowers that, you're, that were from the yard. So put a spoon in there. It helps um, refract the heat and it doesn't hurt the jar as much. Anyway, so you put a bunch of hot water into the jar, cover the flowers, let it sit overnight. The next day you strain it and whoa, it's so purple. It's so pretty. It looks like violets. And from there you can make a simple syrup. Sometimes it's like one part tea or the infusion to one part sugar. That's way too much sugar for me. I usually use like half as much sugar as I'm supposed to, or even less. You can use honey too. 
Um, but that will be the syrup that will, that will make it into a syrup that will also be a preservative. And you can add lemon and it will actually change the color of the violet infusion into like a magenta. It's a really fun little child experiment, you know, not child experiment, uh, experiment for children. <laughs> don't don't exp- experiment on children, experiment for them. And then you cap that, put it in the refrigerator. And uh, it'll stay good for a couple of weeks. You can use that to add to fizzy water or to ice cream or to yogurt or whatever. It's also, if you taste the violet flower, you can get a sense of the energetic qualities of it too. It's astringent. So this is going to be really toning, tightening and toning to states of um, laxity, especially in the throat. It's a throat medicine. Oh, of course it is. It's a violet in Taurus. It's a throat medicine. That's the great thing about violets. So you could, you could take my word for everything that I'm going to say here, but I'm going to challenge you to go outside, find a violet, find a patch of violets. It doesn't have to be in flower. And it can be, you're looking for the heart-shaped leaves. They also have the heart-shaped leaves, which is something I'm going to co- cover in just a second. And just take some and put it in your mouth. Tell me what you taste. I'll tell you what I taste. I'll tell you what I experience when I taste a violet. I chew it up and it tastes like it becomes mucilaginous. I can taste the mucilage. And the mucilage is a energetic um, foundational action. It's a foundational action of the plant that tells us that the plant is moistening. And it's particularly moistening to, you guessed it, the taurian parts of the body, especially the throat and the lymphatic system around the throat and even like in the breast. So there's qualities in the plant that are, I guess, chemistry, um, chemistry nutrients and stuff. Whenever that's being covered in plants and they're talking about the plant has like, for example, the flower is high in vitamin C. Okay, I can remember that. The leaf is higher in vitamin E, but it doesn't have as much vitamin C. Okay, I'm starting to, okay, note and it's got saponins. And then this is where my eyes start glazing over. I'm like, okay, saponins. It's got saponins. And it's got polysaccharides and all this stuff. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so boring. The, <laughs> I know that there's people out there that love this type of stuff. And God bless them. I think there's plenty, plenty of them that are listening that are just like, I want to know all about the compounds and the chemistry of plants. I want to know it all. And um, I th- think it's beautiful that you're think that way and that your brain works that way. Mine doesn't, doesn't work that way. I'm interested in alchemy. I'm interested in like the energetic qualities of it and, and the spiritual connections and all the shape and everything like this and all. But when it comes to like, when I hear the word saponins, I'm just like, I get, I start to get, my brain turns to soap, but that's what saponins do. They are like soapy qualities in the plant. And um, those soapy qualities help clean out parts of the body. When you have a, a plant that's really high in saponins and it's a digestive plant, it's really helpful for the di- for the colon and stuff like that. The saponins in um, the violet, along with the mucilage, the gooiness that you taste, you can taste the saponins. You could taste, it's got like kind of like a clean flavor. You could taste the mucilage. It tastes kind of gooey and you could taste the astringent quality. It like makes your mouth feel tighter and slipperier at the same time. It's really cool. So those are all things that are going to tell us that it's going to be cleaning things out. In particular, it cleans out the lymphatic system. And those saponins are really, really helpful for reducing tumors. 
It's been studied to especially with lymphatic and breast tumors. Not necessarily just, listen, I'm not, when I say tumors, I know a lot of people think like cancer and stuff right away, but I'm, I could be talking about like fatty lumps, fatty tissues. It could be benign stuff too. And this is why the leaf of violet is one of my very favorite things for, it's the leaf that I typically use. It's one of my very favorite things for lymphatic cleansing. Um, I'll just continue on that thread. So later in the springtime, while it's in flower, the leaf is tense. It looks really tense around it. That's another signature too, by the way, of the taurian quality of not necessarily like tenseness, but not wanting to let go. Um, it's not. It doesn't have an air tension to it. It has a, it has a an earth tension. Like it doesn't want to let go. But once that flower is gone, then it starts to open up. And when that leaf opens up, it becomes a heart shape. And that heart shape, by the way, it's the same heart shape. Uh, symbol that you can imagine in your mind when you see a heart in your mind. And I don't mean like, um, it's, it's weird. Isn't it weird that we, we have this symbol for the heart, but it doesn't look anything like the anatomical heart. Isn't that weird? What does that mean then? What is that symbol actually symbolizing? I think it's symbolizing the energetic heart. I think it's symbolizing the toroidal field from the heart. That's the, the, the movement of the toroidal field away from the pole or access in that heart-shaped um, fashion. And uh, another name for, t- for the violet is heart's ease. Heart's ease, which sounds like heart sees, um, which can be <laughs> many things. It can be the heart, what the heart sees, as in what the heart perceives. Like it's, it's uh, as, a, as a sensory organ for visualizing its surroundings or the, the sea, the watery aspect of which we're all a part of, but that's not what the word is. The word is heart's ease as in it lessens that melancholic grip upon the, the Torian stuck heart. Let it loose, let it, let it open. Um, and that heart symbol is portrayed on the Rider Waite tarot card of the Empress. So remember I was saying that the Empress is associated with with the sign of Taurus. Well, she's sitting next to what looks like a stone tablet that was carved in the fashion of a violet leaf. It's pretty cool. So those are the leaves that you're looking for. Sometimes people mix them up with garlic mustard because garlic mustard has a similar shape. But remember garlic mustard, we covered that in week two or three. And that one looks way more Martian. It just has more jaggedness. It has a lot more texture to it. It looks way more Aryan. Whereas this one looks nice and soft and Venusian. And if you don't know which one is which, you can pick it up and just kind of crush it in your hand. If it smells garlicky or it smells mustardy, it smells strong, the leaf then it's garlic mustard. And if it smell, if it doesn't have much of a smell, it doesn't have smell at all, but it feels slippery, then it's violet. It's a good thing to learn how to identify. I'm not saying that that's the only way to identify it, but um, learn to identify these plants as you go. Get a field guide or get a little app. I use the app Picture This, and it always wants you to buy. It's a free, it's a free app, but it always wants you to pay for it's like, do you want to continue with your purchase? And there's like a little X at the very top that like at the upper right, and you just hit the X. But sometimes if you're out in the field, it's hard to see because it's, 
invisible behind. It's like hard, it's hard to see on a phone sometimes. Just know that there's a little X there and uh, don't buy it. Um, it's really, it's free and it's easy to use and it's 95% accurate. So make sure you get a, a, a couple of shots when you're using that, just so you can make sure it's not a poisonous plant. Anyway, as the flower lets go, the leaf will start to open up. It'll start to let go of its tension. It'll start to open its heart. And as it moves through the year, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's when it becomes more harvestable. And it's the violet flower that, sorry, correction. It is the violet leaf that I, as an herbalist, want. That's what I want in my repertoire. I like the violet leaf for, I like just eating it. It's really, really good salad. It tastes great. It's, I can make it, I can make a violet leaf salad and just put um, vinegar on top and I would be so happy. That would be awesome. But as a medicinal plant, that's what I'm harvesting. I'm preparing that along with dandelion flower and red clover in an oil. And this is an oil that I make. It's an Abayanga massage oil for moving the lymphatic system. And that sells out every year. And so I need to get more violet leaf this year. As the violet is cut, it will grow back. So this is a plant that's really adaptable to being on the lawn because you can, it likes to be in kind of abused area and it likes to be in disturbed soil, but it also doesn't mind getting its head chopped off, I guess you could say, because it'll grow it back, which is why I like to harvest it multiple times a year over and over and over for medicine or for food. And I just leave it as a, if it's growing as a quote weed in my lettuce patch, it's just like, that's like, whoa, sweet. That's lettuce right there. And it's really yummy. It's really good. Sweet. As the year goes on, it becomes more bitter. And the reason why is because it has more, um, salicylic acid and salicins. Oh, my eyes. Oh, put toothpicks in there. Salicylic acid. Oh, so boring. But really, this is a compound worth knowing. Salicylic acid is what is used to make acetosalicylic acid. I know, hold on to your yawn. That's called aspirin. And aspirin is a blood thinner. It's a um, something that people take for removing <laughs> pain of inflammation. And so violets possess these things too. So later on in the year, it becomes crunchier, becomes less... Um, delicious as a salad, but it becomes more medicinal on, on, a, on account of its toughness that it's made it through the season. That's the way I like to put it rather than saying it's got salicins and quercetin and saponins. And I'm like, oh man, did you say salads? Did you say salads and? No, I said salicins. Okay. Oh, I stopped paying attention. That's just me. That's just my bias. You know, when I was in high school in chemistry class, it was an eighth hour and I was so ready to just get out of there. I, would, I had enough. My teacher was Mr. Bloomfeld, I think it was his name. And he dude was like as old as that tortoise that I was talking about. He was just an old guy. He didn't, he didn't notice anything. He didn't care about anything. I could skip all the time. And so I didn't pay attention. I never really cultivated an interest in chemistry, I guess you could say. There's some other signatures to violet, though, that I think are interesting. If you dig up the rhizome and you look at the little rootlets, you'll notice that they have these nodes on them. It's like rootlet node, rootlet node. It just like go. It looks like the lymphatic system. It looks like the nodes of the lymphatic system, which is really cool. So that's and then here's another fun thing. 
we've kind of adopted Violet as our unofficial mascot for Tippecanoe Herbs. If you walk into our herb shop, we have this giant mural of a violet behind us. And then on this t-shirts that we make, we have the this violet as a woodcut from one of these Renaissance books from 1582 or something like that, back when the tortoise was born. And um, so, yeah, I've just always been very fond of, of violets and the violet medicine and just how humble it is. That's also this, a symbol of violet in, in um, flower medicine is a symbol of modesty and humbleness. And there's nothing more humbling than, I guess, having your head chopped off on the lawn over and over and over again and just being like, well, I guess I got to start over and grow again. I want to continue on the virtues of the mucilage, though. One of the things that I do when I do an herb walk is I'll basically what my herb walks are, if you haven't been to one, we meet in the wild, we're hanging out, we're walking on trails, very nonlinear classes, just walking around trying to find out, actually not doing much walking at all, just look, <laughs> looking at plants. It takes me, sometimes it takes me 45 minutes to get out on the trail itself because I'm like, look at all this stuff before the trail. And I could talk a lot, as you know. And um, so we don't do much walking. And and I'm like, oh, I wonder what we we could talk about. And plants will just kind of pop up. And I know the landscape well enough. And I know how to talk about plants well enough that I'll, that if I see one and I think it relates to our group, then I'll talk about it and I'll call upon it. And if, and if it's just like, no, don't talk about me right now. I'm just trying to just trying to lay low, then I won't. Um, so it's really fun. It's really fun non, non-linear lessons, but I'm talking and talking and talking. And sometimes I do herb walks for my classes where I'm out in the field for six hours and I'm talking. And when I do, before my day begins, I'll go find a patch of violets and I'll chew, I'll take the leaf and I'll chew it up. And like a cowboy putting chewing tobacco in my lip, I'll just like stick it in my lip And one of the things that happens is that now all of the mucilage that comes from the violet leaf is mixing with my saliva. And as I swallow, every time I swallow, I'm swallowing something that's going to be cooling. It's got those salicins. It's got this astringent quality that's going to be tightening and toning so that my my vocal cords are in good shape and they're not getting worn out by the friction. It's a wonderful remedy for just having a long conversation. And... If you can just use your imagination and follow your mind down that ancillary tube, it's the violet flower, sorry, I keep calling it a flower, pardon me, the violet leaf as an infusion, drink and as an infusion or just constantly eat if you're eating a salad or something like that, is going to impart that same type of energetic quality all the way down your digestion. It's going to help with congestion in the form of constipation, which is a taurian affliction, Torian and Scorpio, because it's a matter of like not letting go, it's holding on to something. Um, and it might be because, and there's all different types of constipation, I know. There's constipation from tension, there's constipation from um, dryness, there's constipation from um, side effects from opiates and all kinds of things. But if it's a constipation from dryness or just heaviness, things not, something is not, there's not enough vitality to move it, then having something like violet, which has got some slippery mucilage and some good um, astringent qualities to help tighten and tone those tissues to move things out. So I would say it's not necessarily a laxative. I would say 
it's not considered a laxative, but I would say it's got a very mild laxative quality and more of like a balancing quality. I know the word laxative can scare people because they're like, I don't want to take a laxative. I'm going on a road trip or something like that. And that's not what I mean. I mean, like it would be very supportive of somebody in that position of going on a road trip or sitting down or, uh, you know, just sitting down and sitting around all day or just being still. Overcoming stillness, overcoming the desire, the want to just be stable is important medicine in Taurus season to like invigorate yourself, get out, move, uh, challenge yourself a little bit. That's really, really important to not find complacency in this time of year. I know it's about slowing down and putting your roots down, but it's balancing that too. And putting your roots down takes energy. It takes uh, takes courage too. And one of the things, the propensities of Taurus is to avoid conflict. So I'm not talking about putting your roots down to avoid conflict. I'm talking about making that decision, cutting off other possibilities and standing by what you're doing, which de- which does take courage. It takes a lot of courage a lot of times, especially if it's the right thing. And that's why I think violet can be really symbolic of the emotional heart. Because sometimes when you've made a decision to stay put, to make your roots, to make your home, to cut off other possibilities, you have to, f- you have to focus on a strong boundary. And that's heart medicine right there. Boundary medicine. And I'm not talking about like the aggressive forms of boundary medicine, which I'm going to get into later on. I'm talking about the soft, softening forms of boundary medicine, maybe feeling lovely about your decision. (laughs) That's a good case for being with the violets. In fact, just sitting with the violets. Oh, here's a fun story. Here's a fun story about that. There was a, once upon a time, there was a God in Greece. He was the big daddy. That's Zeus. And Zeus is the big daddy in a lot of different religions, I guess you could say. But in Greece, his name was Zeus. And Zeus was a playa. (laughs) Donate the game, all right? Hate the playa. And Zeus was just like fond of all these earth mistresses. And he just wanted them all. Um... Very sexy Torian story we got here. And so he's always trying to get away with it. And his wife, Hera, is jealous and angry. And it's like, ah, I can't believe that you're always doing it with all these women and down on earth. And he's like, I'm not. He's like, and so he goes down one day and he's like, whispers to his mistress, Io, that's I-O, or, um, which is also a really interesting name, symbolically, I-O, is a I is a pole and O is a hole. So poles and holes. Um, just the name EO itself is a symbol of reproductive fertility. IO, poles and holes. Anyway, so he goes down to EO, who is the daughter of an Argian um, king of Argus. And he's like, hey, I like you, but since you're a human and my Wife is always like, you know, every time you go down, you're, you're always with all these women. And he's like, how about I change you into a cow? And, you know, she's, she's in love with Zeus or not. I don't know about that part of the story, but um, whatever, if she <laughs> consented to it or not. But 
uh, being changed into a cow, that is. But she got changed into a cow. So he's just like, I wasn't with any women, and so, but he's down there with a cow. And so, of course, cow, it's Taurus, and it's EO, and it's uh, IO, and it's fertility, everything about this story. And he's like, so how do you like being a cow? She's like, oh, I don't know. It's, it's okay, I guess, but it's actually not. I'm really sad. All I get to eat is grass, and it's really rough, and it hurts my little soft cow face. And so she starts crying, and there's like the tears running down her cow eyes. And they f- fall onto the ground, and Zeus is like, I have an idea. And Zeus is like, whoosh, and sends down a lightning bolt or something. And every place that the tears landed grew up violets and violets are soft and violets feel good and they're yummy and they taste good and so eo was i don't know happy or something i'm not really sure i don't really know the moral of the story um (laughs) i just know the myth i don't think the story has a moral maybe it does um oh here's the moral so hera his wife is like finds out anyway and she's pissed She's like, you've been doing it with this cow? And um, so she makes a fly, the Mosca, or the Muska constellation. She makes a fly, and it just is a biting fly, and it just is going to bite the cow forever. And that's where cows get biting flies from because, and his infidelity, and that's where you get violets too. That's the story, the end. It's a cool fertility story encoded in so many ways, all these different ways of fertility. I love it when I pick an herb of the week and it gets reinforced with all of this extra stuff. I should say, I take that back. I don't, I don't claim ownership of picking this herb of the week. I feel like it picks me. I feel like I've, I've sat down and I meditated and the herbs just kind of like fell into the parts of the year that I wanted that made a lot of sense to me, but I didn't put a lot of logical thought into it. Here's another cool one. The, the botanical genus name of violet is viola or viola. And that's also an instrument. It's an instrument that is designed to mimic the human voice. And you put it underneath your mandible and you play it to mimic the human voice. And what do you do? You grab a bow, which is the same kind of weapon that is carried by other, um, let's say, hero archetypes from the Pantheon, and you give it a strike, a bow strike, to strike the instrument. And, and it reminds me of the Mithraic slaying of the bull, this castration or the, the ritualistic slaying of the bull, which is from the legends of Mithras, who also might be interchangeable with Apollo and Artemis, the twins, the twins of Gemini. This is symbolic for moving into Gemini, slaying the bull, Um, maybe, allegedly. But anyway, um, that's so cool. I think that's so freaking awesome. I love all this stuff. I love it. I love the synchronicities that occur with plants and (laughs) the myths and how these stories... Are they historical accounts? There's certainly aspects, recreating aspects of nature. Some things that are unknowable and unspeakable, and we put them into these types of stories so that we can convey these ideas of 
what's true, what's true, and that's nature. There's no lie there. Um, I have one last little tip about making an infusion of violet flower. There's one species of violet flower called viola odorata, and that's that means like odorata. It means like little stinker. That's the one that smells good, and if that's the one that smells to me like a very very beautiful flower. So if you want to make a violet syrup that has that not just the the flavor or the color of the violet but also the flavor of that beautiful violet flower you got to use viola odorata and those are the first blooms in spring so if you see more violet flowers in springtime smell them taste them if they don't have that smell or that taste it's okay you're not going to get you can still use them as medicine they're just not going to have that smell they're not going to have that taste they're going to have the color that'll be cool if you're into that for me, I'm only going to be making violet flower syrup with the first violet flowers that I find, those little stinkers, because I want it to smell good. I don't really care if it's just purple. I want it to be purple and taste and smell good and not just like purple sugar water. There's a lot of people that like sugar, purple sugar water. I'm not saying like there's a lot of Tauruses that like purple sugar water. In fact, if there's any sign that is most likely to drink purple syrup water... <laughs> is a Taurus. That's it. <laughs> but um, not for me. Not for me. I'm going to be harvesting the leaf, though. I'm going to be making my oil infusions. I'm going to be making lots of salads. I'm going to be making lots of teas. I'm going to be making a compress for my, for my lymph nodes. I'm really going to appreciate this very humble, friendly, and familiar plant. It's stable. Holds the yard down. Really stable, good earth quality plant, good taurian plant. Oh, snap, I forgot. I put the flowers in my Taurus incense blend and it's awesome. Sweet grass, sandalwood, orris, magnolia petals. Oh, oh. That's probably what Zeus was burning all those sensual nights. Probably was, it's very nice. So I'll be making that again too, but I wanna thank you so much for joining. I'm getting some awesome feedback and emails and personal messages from people sharing some of their cool things, their cool journal entries and, um, and everything like that, the medicine that they're making. Thank you so much. I'm glad that this is resonating with you and that, it's, that these teachings are reaching, I suppose. Thank you very much. We will be back next week with Rose. There's no rush, really. Stop and smell the violets. Yes! Stop and smell the violets. You have to really get down. You have to get down on the ground, <laughs> basically. Put your head to the ground, which is probably... This, it's going to shift your perspective. <laughs> you might make friends with a worm. You might make friends with a robin. There's a lot to, uh, there's a lot to see when you shift your perspective and get on the plant path and uh, bring these herbs into your life the way that you do. So thanks so much for joining for the Herb of the Week and see you again. Ciao for now. <laughs>